What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of the Not Gonna Lie podcast presented by Student Union Sports. Hello again, and welcome to the Not Gonna Lie podcast presented by Student Union Sports. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and we have a fantastic show for you today. First up, we've got an interview with Jeff Perlman talking about his new book, Three Ring Circus, which details uh, Phil, Kobe, Shaq, and the Lakers dynasty of the early 2000s. Great conversation with him. We talk really more about other things than the book, um, but definitely have to check it out. Really cool conversation. And then after that, I get into uh, the Thursday night preview. I break down kind of how I think it's going to go, maybe some good bets for the night, uh, and then we'll move on from there. But now, my interview with Jeff Perlman. We now welcome on a very special guest, author of a book out now. You can get on Amazon and you can get it wherever you get your books, Three Ring Circus. It's Jeff Perlman. Jeff, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. So this book, did it drop? It was today? Uh, yesterday. Came out? Yesterday. Okay, yesterday came out. I saw number one on sports biographies on Amazon. So congratulations. Uh, I just checked. That's like, Amazon is a little missing. Amazon's funny. Like you never, you know, it could be like, Number one in Alaskan fishy, fishing biographies. You know, they have all these categories. And you're like, I don't know. That sounds good. But uh, look, but sports, like that's pretty broad. You know, sports biographies uh, and, and they update it. I think it's like hourly is what they said. And I just checked. So you're still, still number one. Um, right. But you're, you're the best-selling author that we've had on the podcast this week too. So number one in another area as well. <laughs> I know that was, that was a key, yes. that was a key Who else have you had on the podcast this week? Uh, we had, well, we had Marcus Grant who does, um, fantasy football for NFL network. Okay. Um, but I don't think he's written a book. That so I, I think, I you know who he is there. That guy's a hack. I got number one <laughs> yesterday. I don't know who he is. I swear to God. I have no idea. Marcus Grant. I'm a big fan. Yeah, no, he's he, a great guy. Great guy. I was going to say we, we may have to start some, some beef or something. No, but we're, no, we're all no. good. Um, but yeah, so the book just came out. So details, uh, the, you know, it alludes to the, the title three room circus alludes to the combination of Kobe Bryant, Phil Jackson, and Shaquille O'Neal. Um, and so far what I've, what I've read from it, uh, and what I've, I've seen from it, it's, it's been met with pretty glowing reviews. Um, and I saw that you've been working on this book for two years. So let's start there. How does it feel to, um, I mean, is this the longest time you've waited to release a book or have you waited longer and how does it feel to finally get it out there? That's about the average amount. It's about two years, a book, two to two and a half. It, um, How's it feel? On the one hand, that's an interesting question, actually. <laughs> on the one hand, you work really hard on something, you work really hard on something, you work really hard on something. And then there's this gap, like you hand it in, and then there's a gap where it goes through editing, and then it has to be put together and published, so there's this in-between. So it's not like um, it's not like the immediacy of you finish a book and then it's out, and you're like, oh, thank God. It's more like you're done, and you start working on your next book while this book is being out, and then you kind of have to go back and refresh yourself with the subject a little bit because it's been a while. And then when it comes out, it's, um, it's exciting. It's exciting. I mean, people want to talk to you. A friend of mine always says, it's like for two weeks, you're, you're not really, but you're kind of a celebrity. Like for two weeks, people want to talk to you and people see you on TV and your mom and dad call and say, oh, I saw you on blah, blah, blah. And then you go back into your hole and nobody ever thinks of you again. So that's about it. Good <laughs> so you just, you just live for those two-week spans every, every two years. I would uh, say I live like, for the two years more than the two weeks. Like I like the reporting 
and the writing more than anything, more than I like doing, you know, podcasts. Mm-hmm. Except for this podcast, obviously, which has been thank you, thank you. I w- I was gonna say, oh, that's a little little awkward, but I'm I'm glad yeah. you added that yeah. in for this one. This is the one I've been waiting. I did Coward. I did Simmons. All leading up to right here. Look, I hope you know I'm clipping this and I'm putting it on every you social do. media. Place Those guys are have. punks. You're the man. <laughs> You're where I'm meant to be. Wow, I, this is, I think my, I needed this little confidence boost today. Um, I appreciate it, even if it is, you know, we, we don't know how, how true it is, but. <laughs> I want to give you a um, gift right now, in fact. Are you ready? Okay, yes. How old are you? What's that? How old are you? Uh, 20. Of all the podcasts I have ever appeared on, hosted by a blonde 20-year-old with AirPods, this is the best one. I've made it. I think this is the pinnacle of my near two-year podcasting career. I can retire a happy man. And this is the pinnacle of my writing career. So we, right now. We, it, paths intersect at the right time. Man. Uh, so, okay, well, no, let's talk about the book a little bit because I want to yeah. get people getting out there and, and buying the book as much as I love you saying nice things about me. Um, so you've written a handful of books in your career. What would you say... Uh, particularly talking about a, a story that happened, you know, two decades ago. Um, wh- what were some challenges that you ran into that you may have otherwise um, not realized when you first started it? Well, the biggest challenge, I guess you could argue, is Kobe didn't talk to me. So Shaq talked, Phil Jackson talked, a lot of the players talked, Kobe did not. Now, there hasn't been a book I've ever written where everyone talks, you know, it just comes with it. Number one, they're not getting paid for it. Number two, they've, they don't have any editorial control whatsoever. They don't even see it until it comes out. So I get it, but it's always nice. And um, he is the most complicated character in the book. There's no doubt about that. And his early death makes him no less complicated. It probably makes him more complicated. So it took a lot of work. It always takes a lot of work to make up for that. Like you're really trying to make up for that. So what can I do? He's not talking. Okay, I have to report the hell out of Kobe Bryant. I have to find people who know him really well, who can analyze, who, who can tell me about him. And it's a fun challenge, but it's also um, a big challenge, you know? And the other thing is it comes with writing a book that's where the topic is 20 years or so old is you're asking people to rely on memories. And like, if I asked you, so two days ago, what'd you have for breakfast? You'd be like, uh, you know, I don't know, maybe a Pop-Tart, I have no idea. And you're asking people to go back 20 years and remember things. And that comes with a lot of, you know, kind of stabs or taking stabs. And sometimes you're trusting their memories and hoping you can, you know, um, have someone else to double up on it, but it's, that's a challenge as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and particularly, I mean, you just touched on it here. Um, obviously with, with Kobe Bryant's tragic death, um, th- there were some issues that he had and I really liked how you worded it in the, in the foreword where you basically said, you know, writing this book is like freezing somebody in time. You mentioned that the Kobe that you saw in this book wasn't the Kobe that, uh, you know, was around the last 15 years that had that vested interest uh, in, in his daughter's life and really wanted to see all of them uh, excel and I thought you worded it well, but like you said, I think in an interview with Time that you know 96% of the people are gonna get after you for it, um, as opposed to the four percent that actually read what you say and understand what you were trying to convey. Was there a part of you that was like, do we move forward with this? Do we wait? Because I know you, I heard you discuss pushing it back, um, but what made you eventually decide on moving forward with the originally planned September date? I don't really think I, I didn't really see an alternative. Like, I didn't really know what the alternative is. Like, you could be a greedy, callous asshole and move it up as soon as possible and be like, he died. He's in the news. And there was a book that this 
bothered as soon as I saw it, I was like, this is bullshit. There was a book called, I think, Chase Guarding Kobe or something. It came out years ago. I would say eight days after I after Kobe died, I was in a Barnes and Noble near where I live. And there's a book about Kobe Bryant. And I'm like, it was called Remembering Kobe. Mm-hmm. And I look closely at the book, and they basically took that old book and put a new cover on the book. So it's the same book, they put a new cover on it. So if it was in the bookstore eight days after he died, that means they must have thought to do that either the day he died or the day after he died. And I just think, what kind of asshole? Like, really? It's that important to make money that you're, you're I mean, so I was never going to move it up. It's eight months after he died. Um, I don't know if eight months is that different than a year, a year and a half, two years. Like at some point, it's okay to talk about someone and talk about their legacy. And I guess I just kind of thought eight months was felt safe. And I didn't know what the alternative was otherwise. So that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it, it always is that, you know, that, that tricky issue because there are going to be people that come after you for it, regardless if you had waited five years, you know, to tell a story, but it's obviously a story that um, really sparked a lot of interest in the NBA circle during that time. But even now, I mean, you, you think about it, there's just so much like that dynamic was talking about two of the best players of their generation, maybe all time playing in their, you know, very close to their primes at the same time with one of the greatest coaching minds. Uh, what, what originally led you to jump out uh, at, at this sort of topic? I think it's kind of what you said. You have these three iconic figures together. You know, usually you have an icon over here or like George, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen played together, but Pippen's not an icon. Pippen's a great player. Um, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, Chris Bosh all together in Miami. LeBron's an icon. The other two are just great players. Mm-hmm. I would argue, I think you can argue Shaq. Shaq has become a cultural icon, not just a sports icon. Phil Jackson is a coaching icon, which is a little less. And Kobe is an icon icon. Um, but I was going to ask you, here's a, I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. You're of age, you're 20. Do you feel like people your age, you're a diehard basketball fan, right? Absolutely, yeah. Do you feel like people your friends, your age, appreciate Shaq for his the greatness he had as a basketball player, or do you feel like he kind of gets overlooked a little bit? You know, it's interesting that you ask this because normally I, I give this answer when it's framed for like LeBron and MJ, but I'll, I think the answer applies for any player that came before, you know, when I really, cause I, you know, when I was about eight years old was probably when I really got into basketball and it was the big three Celtics, you know, 2008. Yeah. Me growing up uh, and being able to watch a player grow, evolve, and turn into a superstar, um, you know, watching him every night is one thing. But looking back in history, and it doesn't matter how dominant the numbers are, um, I think it really comes down to like, wow, how did this guy make me feel like when my team matched up against him, I was legit terrified because I knew he could easily go for 40 and 20 on us, you know, right. which and I think Shaq is fully capable of. And I think it's one thing to say that, but it's different to really understand it, you know, and put it in today's terms, sure. especially because his style doesn't translate as well to today's NBA because, you know, you're looking at, you know, if he couldn't shoot threes, he couldn't hit free throws, like he was a liability. Um, so to make a, a long answer out of a short question, no, I don't think we really do appreciate him enough. It's so interesting you said that. That's a great answer. Um, I heard someone say the other day, Anthony Davis is going to be better than Tim Duncan, right? Probably about your age, right? My nephew's mm-hmm. the same age as you. And I was like, what are you talking about? Tim Duncan, blah, blah. Like, that's preposterous. Tim Duncan is – and I do feel like, like, when you're 20 – I mean, like, I – perfect example is you were born the year 9-11 happened, I assume, right? Uh, 90, oh, no. I was born in 99, yeah. Right, excuse so me. A little bit, yeah. 
Yeah, right, right, right. Um, but like, it doesn't really mean that much to you because it, to you it's history. And mm-hmm. it is interesting how a guy like Shaq, like you probably don't remember Shaq playing, or if you do, he was kind of fat and playing in a Cleveland uniform or a Boston uniform. So you would almost have no context to gauge Shaq, but you probably remember Kobe at the end of his career. But do you think of Kobe as a legendary all-time great, or do you think of him as kind of the lesser Laker you saw the last few years? I mean, when you look at his like full body of work, especially like, you know, reading excerpts of your book and um, my, the thing that sticks out to me the most was like the, it's kind of earlier on when you were talking about summer league and how he just came and dominated Yeah. to think about, to put myself in the shoes of somebody being able to watch him play and say, wow, there's really nothing we can do. An 18 year old kid fresh out of high school. Um, but yeah, it, it just like part of me, you, you can't help but really respect it. Um, and I think ultimately, like I never really will understand it short of like trying tra- time traveling back to 1998 and being able to watch his career from the perspective that I have now. Um, you know, and it's, I, I think, I think it's a different thing. I think it happens with, with everybody. And you see, that's why when like the last dance came out, everybody was like, man, MJ was a killer. It's like everybody that had been around knew that, you know, and it's like us, you know, like the, the 13 to 22 year olds um, are like, had, had never seen. Um, so, so did I watched in the last dance, give you an appreciation for Jordan. I think I had it to an extent already, but it definitely like helped build, like develop it a little bit more, you know, like you hear these stories, but having it all compiled together at once and especially playing for me, the biggest thing that stuck out was like at the beginning when they were talking about how, um, was it Ewing that went number one overall, um, and they were saying that, like, that would still have happened, even if they, you know, like, you stretched it out. Oh, like, no, a large one. Went number one that or a large one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, but, like, even knowing what they knew just because of the style um, makes you appreciate it even more because it was a big man game. Yeah. And watching Wings take over was, like, yeah. So, it, I think the more documentaries I watch and the more, like, information I gather, I feel more appreciative. Um, and so, you just have to imagine, like, what it would be like being able to sit down and watch them play uh, meaningless, you know, so-called meaningless game five of the Eastern conference finals. You know what I mean? Like, like just stuff like that, that I'll, I'll never be able to really see from that perspective. I just said someone to someone today, I really mean this. So you're a Celtics fan. Mm-hmm. Taco fall, his career will probably won't be much because he's just an outdated, you know, like at best he'll be some guy sitting on the end of benches, but it'll probably be a European player eventually. I mean, it's just the reality. 20 years ago, Definitely 30 years, he's a top three pick in the draft. He's probably the number one pick in the draft. And they're like, there's this guy, and he's, you know, it's just unbelievable. And the funny thing is, uh, Kyler Murray, the Arizona quarterback, yeah. went number one last year. 30 years ago, he's a fifth-round defensive, converted to defensive back. Like, yeah. the games have changed so much. And it's funny because Jordan, could, Jordan would be great in the modern NBA. He'd be the exact same dominant killer, blah, blah, blah. You said this. Shaq would be a really weird fit. Like, who's he going to guard? I mean, mm-hmm. who's going to guard him on the one hand, but who's he going to guard? Like, he's, is he going to chase around Joel Embiid or, like, Ben? I mean, what's he going to do? So, it's like, the game is so different that it actually gives me great pleasure. And I really mean this. I'm not just saying – I was thinking this while you are talking. The fact that you're reading my book, you, a 20-year-old NBA fan, who really doesn't remember that era or wasn't really around for that era in a sense, brings me great joy. And I actually really appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, and that's the thing is – is the the more like because I'm I'm definitely a big like documentary guy especially like 30 for 30s I eat them up whenever they come out 
like uh, the bad boys is probably my favorite one of all time because it's like that's a story that people just don't really tell it's not a casual like this ragtag hard-nosed like 80s pistons team was able to take down magic and the lakers larry bird and the celtics and michael jordan and the bulls early on like that's yeah Uh, so absolutely definitely definitely a big fan um so i i screech out of this one part of this of your book that i really wanted to talk about so it was about, and I may mess this name up, so correct me if I'm wrong, but Cedric Ceballos. 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 Sorry, pardon me. Uh, nicknamed himself Chize yep. or, or Franchise. And I, I love because it's it, like time is a flat circle, right? It, you, you have these people talking about like, you can't, you can't give yourself a nickname. And then you see in 2020, or I guess it was 2019 technically, Paul George giving himself the nickname Playoff P. And obviously that coming full circle and all that sort of thing. So it's like, it, like stories like that are just what make me excited to hear more. Yeah, cool. I guess if that makes sense. So is there a story um, in this book that you are, are kind of like, man, this is my favorite story that I heard? Because I, I heard there were some that really haven't been told before. Like there were a couple new sure. stories that are in that book. Well, my favorite, so my favorite character, since we're talking NBA history, isn't actually Shaq or Kobe, and I love them both. My favorite character is this guy, J.R. Ryder. Have you ever heard of J.R. Ryder? Mm-mm. You need to Google him later. He um, or YouTube. He won the Slam Dunk Championship in like '94 and '95. He's a guy from Oakland, drafted by the T Wolves, very high, bounced around, smoked a lot of pot. Great talent, a little eccentric. And he comes to the Lakers as a free agent. It's like a last gasp. His career is pretty much crap. He's only like 29, but he comes to the Lakers, and he did some things that were just the best. Number one, he smoked pot all the time, and he was walking through customs going to Toronto in Toronto. And this police dog just starts barking at him nonstop. And they pull him off into customs. And it was because his, he had smoked so much pot, his tracksuit smelled like marijuana. Like he didn't even have any drugs on him. The dog was just going crazy. Then um, he missed a practice because he overslept and they were on the road in a hotel or a shoot around he missed. And um, he got the hotel clerk to write him a note, the front desk guy, to Phil Jackson saying, Dear coach, we forgot to give Dan, uh, J.R. Ryder his, uh, his wake-up call, so it's on us. And he literally gives it to Phil Jackson as an excuse. So Jim from the Hyatt. And then number three is he missed three practices in a row, um, and he blamed it on his car being broken, and he couldn't get to practice. But he lived 300 yards from the practice facility. Like he literally walked out his door, and you could walk 300 yards, and you're at the facility. But he said he couldn't make it for three days because his car broke down and he had no transportation. He's like the best character who's ever lived. I'm a huge J.R. Ryder fan. So I love, I love writing about him. I love writing about Chice, nicknaming himself Chice. And like, you played for the Lakers, man. This is a Magic Johnson and Jerry West and Kareem and James Worthy. And you're naming yourself Chice? No. Yeah, honestly, that's, I, I love it. Okay, yeah, so fun. two things two things before you go. One, yeah. as you see, I'm trying to build a little backdrop here. It's terrible. So I need some, I need some advice. I need some decorating advice. Okay. Who do I, um, what do I put back here? What goes back here? And then two, what's coming out for you? What's, what's next for you? Do you want it to be basketball themed? It could be whatever, whatever you think sports related. Cause it's, I, I kind of do a little bit of everything. All right. So do you just do this as video or is this a podcast? Like we showed this video. Uh, it's a podcast, but I post like clips on uh, social media. I'm going to show you exactly what you should put up though. Okay. 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 In the 1970s, there was a Detroit Tigers pitcher named Mark the Bird Fidrich. Okay. Um, I bought a poster of his at the Stormville flea market in about 1982. Okay. Okay. I saved it. It's now hanging in my kid's room while I'm sitting. 
This is the Mark the Bird Fidrich poster right there. Okay. Ooh. And I'm just selling, telling you right now, that's a one of a kind poster. I will sell it to you for $10,000 and you can make that your backdrop. Jeff, you know, I'm a, I'm a college student, right? Yeah. So like, you don't have to go to college. No, but like I'm in college right now. I understand that. Where do you go? Uh, I go to Walla Walla University. It's in uh, Southeast Washington. I know where it is. And I'm just saying tuition. What's your tuition this year? Um, it's about 9,000 a quarter. A little All right. over. I'll be a nice guy. Skip one quarter. <laughs> Look, I don't know how you're doing anything for me here. I don't understand that. I'm giving you the Mark Fitter's poster. I will give you the poster to hang behind you. That'd be amazing. I mean, it would, but I, yeah. I physically, like if I piled all my assets together, including my car, I could yep. get you like 8,000. All right, we'll take probably. that. I'll take that. That's fair. All right, well, we'll continue this negotiation later for sure. We'll, we'll keep it. We'll table it for a later date. What's the second question? What's next for you? What books oh, come oh. out? What are, you, what are you trying to go after? But I'm going old school. I'm doing a, uh, probably know you don't know who this is. I'm doing a Bo Jackson book. I know who Bo Jackson is. You do? Yeah. Tell me three things about Bo Jackson, Jr. Uh, okay, so he, he played two sports. Yes. Football, played for the Raiders. Yes. And he played for the Royals. Okay. He made that one catch, which was like way over the top, super dramatic, where he like caught it and then ran up the wall. He didn't have to do it, but he did nice it anyways. Job. It's the best catch ever. All right, it's the best freaky physical act of all time. Mm -hmm. All right, yeah, you win. No. Okay, good. Good. Uh, okay. Do I win the poster? No, you do not win the poster. <sighs> Sorry. Sorry, man. Well, this has been fun, even though I don't get a poster out of it. Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and everybody, check out his book, Three Ring Circus, on Amazon, really wherever you get your books. Really appreciate it, Jeff. We'll have to get you on very soon. I just want to also know, even though you're sad about the Celtics, it's not looking great right now. I've been a lifelong New York Jets fan. Things are worse. It could get worse. Things are worse. You'll be okay. Sorry about Saquon, but Jets. have a good one. No, Jets, not Giants. Jets. Oh, wait, Jets. Oh, I'm sorry. I saw Giants and I, I got confused. No, but yes, still, I'm fine. sorry for everything, really. Thank you. It's rough. Thank you. All right. So Thursday night's game is not really going to be an exciting one from like a, a, a team perspective. You've got two of the uh, worst teams in the league, and I know saying that um, one of the teams has beaten the Colts, I, I'm aware. Um, but on a talent scale, you know, both of these teams were are contenders for another top five pick as they as they had recently. But um, there was a new wrinkle in this in this rivalry, I guess you could say now between Ryan Fitzpatrick and Gardner Minshew. So they asked Ryan Fitzpatrick his view on, you know, mustache versus beard. And he says, quote, I think the beard is a cooler look. I think guys that grow mustaches a lot of times have patchy sides for their beards. So they just stick with the mustache. Uh, now, speaking as somebody who has a mustache because I can't grow a full beard, um, hurtful, but not false. Uh, and, and that's a little bit unfortunate on my part. But luckily, Minshew sticking up for us mustache guys out there. Uh, he said the next day, quote, I'll let mine speak for itself. I think I've shown I can grow a beard with no patchy sides. But, you know, I'm going to have to respect my elders. I'm going to have respect for my elders, especially when they're much, much elder. I'll be respectful. Uh, I mean, that's that's pretty funny. Like, Minshew's always been a, a guy who I've been a big fan of ever since he he came to Washington State and led us to a fantastic season. And then even in the NFL now as a, as a sixth-round pick. But 
you can't deny what he's been doing out there has been very, very impressive um, to start the season. Obviously, there were some questions about, you know, are the Jaguars looking at another quarterback? Would they bring in Cam Newton, Jameis Winston, Andy Dalton? Or maybe is this going to be a tank year and they're going after a quarterback in the draft? Uh, well, it seems like Gardner Minshew is doing all he can to make sure that he is known as the guy. Um, and so far, it's, it's going pretty well for him. 49-65, 512 yards, six touchdowns, two picks, and nearly led the team to 2-0. and uh, If it wasn't for a game-winning Steven Gostkowski field goal, we could be looking at this very differently. The, the Jaguars as the top of the AFC South uh, going into a matchup where they could potentially start the season 3-0. and um, But I, I think you look at this team, and even though they did lose a lot of talent, they cut Leonard Fournette, they traded uh, Yannick Ngakwe, they let go, or they traded Calais Campbell, um, traded... Oh, who's that guy? The, the the other corner alongside. I can't think of his. It'll come back to me here later in a little bit. But a lot of these a lot of these guys have been on the move. AJ Bouye. There you go. Um, a lot of these guys have been on the move for the team, and everyone's expecting a rebuild. So imagine my surprise when they when they play successfully, or maybe wasn't surprised at all. If you go back and read uh, one of my articles, I did talk about how much I love Gardner Minshew and how much I think he has that it factor to keep them in a lot of games, which he has. Um, they're tied with the Chiefs in points per game this season, which is absolutely crazy. When you when you think about the two offenses, um, James Robinson's a big part of that. Averaged six yards a carry against the Titans, against a pretty good defense. Um, so we'll have to see if that continues, obviously, as more running backs are added into the fold. Um, and then DJ Chark has been the, the guy, um, especially coming into last year. He's broken out as Minshew's favorite target. Um, but they're using... They're using LaVisca Chenault in a lot of really cool and surprising ways. They've lined him up in the Wildcat. He's been able to catch passes. Um, and I don't think they're going to stop there. I think Jay Gruden is going to use a lot of different ways uh, to get to get uh, LaVisca Chenault involved because they did spend a lot of draft capital on him, and it is cool to see him take off that way. Um, another guy that's really impressed me, C.J. Henderson, uh, a guy who I was not big on coming out of the draft, looking at his tape, looking at his ability to tackle, um, how he went for those big plays. I wasn't really sure how it was going to translate to the NFL, and turns out it translates really well. Um, he had a great game against the Colts, and he followed up with another decent game against the Titans. Uh, I mean, quarterbacks don't normally win Defensive Rookie of the Year, but if he keeps playing at this level, um, you'd be hard-pressed to find a, a person not at least thinking about voting for C.J. Henderson if he keeps it up at this pace. Looking at the spread here, uh, the Jaguars are three-point favorites, and the over-under is set at 48. Um, so there's a couple things here. Byron Jones was ruled out for this Thursday game, which is a big blow to an already poor Miami defense. Um, that's something I'm going to look out for because he would be the guy they'd throw at DJ Chark and LaVisca Chenault to really slow him down. But now that he's gone, I mean, who does it? So I think this minus three pick for the Jaguars makes a lot of sense. Um, I think they're going to cover pretty easily. And I'm going to take the under. I, I don't know if Miami, although they had a really good week against the Buffalo Bills um, last week, and Ryan Fitzpatrick kind of got into his groove a little bit, and they played him close for a while. It really went down to the wire. Um, I just don't think they've got that firepower coming off of a short week to do it all again. Um, so I, I think this is is somewhere in the ballpark of you know 24 to 14, um, which is is just the perfect number. Let's look at the Dolphins here a little bit. Obviously, they're they're coming off of um, a disappointing season, season where they drafted. Tua Tungvaluwa is their quarterback, and he has yet to take the field. Um, they've gotten some really good production out of Miles Gaskin, who is 
pretty much assumed to be uh, the guy in the backfield now. Obviously, they're going to mix in Matt Breed and Jordan Howard, but I think the offense really runs through him. Um, he's taken the most carries and has been the most effective running the ball throughout this season. Um, Mike Kosicki had a great uh, game last week, really shown out, and he was he was showing why he was a sleeper tight end target for a reason. Uh, he leads the team in, in targets, uh, receptions, not receptions, targets, and um, yards. Uh, but I, I think overall, this Miami team is just a little bit further away. Um, but I think the big question for them, especially now, is, okay, when does Tua come into play? Looking at the rest of their schedule here, they go through a tough stretch after they play the Jaguars. They go Seahawks, 49ers, Broncos, Chargers, Rams, Cardinals. Um, so to be honest with you, the time where I think Tua has to start um, is, is going to be coming out of the bye week. So they play the Jets after the Cardinals, and they go into the bye week. And then they go... Uh, Jets again, Bengals, and then Chiefs will be a tough one. But I think you get him going with Jets, Bengals, and kind of see where you're at with him. I think that's an ideal time for him to come into play. Um, I got to see what, wait, what week is this? Hang on, let me count it up. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. So week 11, I'm calling it here. That's when Tua comes in because that'll be the bye week. And then week 12, he goes in to play the Jets and finishes out the season. I think he'll impress. I think he'll turn some heads. Uh, but I'm looking forward to this Thursday game. 24-14 is my final score. I think Minshew plays well again. James Robinson gets uh, another decent yard per carry night, uh, and the and the Jaguars move to two and one, which is a fantastic start to the season. Um, a lot better than the battle of the unbeaten, like we had expected it would be this early on. We'll be back this Sunday with another episode recapping all the games that happened in the NFL. We've got some more guests lined up. Very exciting. I was talking about Bob Ryan potentially coming back next week. So be on the lookout for that. Be able to listen in uh, as we cover the NBA playoffs. We cover NFL football season. MLB's moving into playoffs. There's so much to talk about. I'm very excited, and I'm happy that you joined us today. And hopefully, we'll see you next time.